If you have your Bibles this morning, let me ask you to turn to Joshua chapter 6. As you're turning there, there was a new pastor that came to a church, and he, uh, on his first Sunday, he was asked to teach a Sunday school class. In the absence of the regular teacher, it was for fifth and sixth grade boys. So he decided to figure out how much they knew, how, how well-versed this church was in the Bible. And, and uh, so he asked the boys when he got into class, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? All the boys denied doing it. <laughs> and the preacher was appalled by their ignorance. So at the next deacon's meeting, he, he told the deacons about the experience. He said, gentlemen, not one of them knows who knocked down the walls of Jericho. And he lamented that. He said, you know, something is, is tragically wrong in a church when, when young boys don't understand and know uh, who knocked down the walls of Jericho. And the group was silent until finally one very seasoned veteran of disputes spoke up and said, preacher, uh, this appears to really be bothering you a lot, but I've known all these boys since they were born, and they're good boys. And if they say they don't know who tore down those walls, I believe them. And so let's take, take the money out of maintenance and repair, and let's rebuild those walls, and let's go on. Now, I'm being a little facetious, and you need to laugh a little bit. Some of you haven't laughed all week, okay? Somebody tore down the walls of Jericho, and we find it in Joshua chapter 6. And I want us to take the time this morning to read not only Joshua 6, 1 through 20, but I then want us to go to the New Testament where we find in the book of Hebrews one verse, and that one verse is very critical in our discussion this morning. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once, and you shall do this for six days. And seven priests, and, and when I look at this, Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priest who were blowing the trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard 
Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle around the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them. And the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and, the, and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. And on the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times, and at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who were with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. And they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, a great chapter about faith. The Bible says this, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Few stories are, are better known than this one, the story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho. In fact, we know it so well that when someone begins to read or tell this story, immediately our minds go to that, that African-American spiritual. Joshua fit the battle of, of Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls come tumbling down. You may talk about your men of Gideon. You may brag about your men of Saul. There's none like good old Joshua at the battle of Jericho. The singular event and the singular nature of this event stands out because it is God, God's people emerging victorious when facing an impossible situation. Although God had promised to give them the promised land, the mighty walled city, Jericho, stood in their way. And unless they somehow found a way to bring down those walls, the city could not be taken, and if the city was not taken, then the promised land would never, ever be reached, and it would never become theirs. We only need to know one important fact. It was totally impossible 
to bring down these walls. Totally, absolutely, completely, and utterly impossible. Jericho stood between them and all that God had promised them. Everyone that, that has any kind of sense at all would say, no way. There's no way. And they would begin to walk away. Some, sometimes you, you got to know when to hold them, and you got to know when to fold them. You know what I'm talking about, folks? And when you looked, when you looked at Jericho, there was no way you were going to conquer that city. It was impossible. Hebrews 11.30 says two words that I want you to capture today. By faith. I want you to say that with me. By faith. Come on, we can do better than that. There we go. Some of you are awake now. And I want you to stay awake because this morning, this message is really for you. The story is so incredible that we need to investigate it. What sort of faith was it that caused the walls to come down? Let me suggest to you a couple of things. In fact, five things. If you have your notes this morning, I want you to write these things down in your notes, not because it's, it's, it's prophetic what I'm going to tell you, but because it is the Word of God, and the Word of God is like a lamp unto our feet, okay? So I want you to know that in the first place, the walls came down because of faith in spite of the long odds. If you ever visit the Holy Land, if you ever go to Israel, you will no doubt visit the remains of an ancient city called Jericho. To get there, you either travel down through the mountains from Jerusalem, or you take the river road coming south up from the Sea of Galilee. You run parallel to the Jordan River, and the city itself is located not far from the river. An important point to keep in mind that when you read this story of Joshua's amazing conquest, the Canaanites built Jericho as somewhat of a gateway fortress to their land. Any invading enemy would have to deal with the Great Wall and the walled city of Jericho. You could not simply bypass it. Jericho was too large and too strong to be ignored. Now, what was Jericho to Joshua and to the people of God? Well, first of all, they were a city of pagan unbelief. They were totally pagan. They believed in all of these idols, a city of strategic importance to Joshua and the people of Israel. But they were a city of human impossibility. All three of those are crucial and critical in understanding this story. Pagan unbelief must be confronted head on. The corrupt Canaanite religion with its emphasis on idolatry and immorality could never coexist with the true worship of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be very careful in the time in which we're living that we understand the significance of this scripture. We call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ demands that we adhere to his word, that we look into his word. We have a lot of similarity today in the time in which we're living because as never before in the history of our nation have we ever confronted such immorality, such idolatry even within the four walls of the church. Say, oh, preacher, wait a minute, get back to your story of Jericho, I am. 
Because you see, I'm applying it to us today. This city had such a spiritual importance and a military importance. And because the walls were so high, they seemed to reach the sky. According to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 1, the city must be completely defeated or the Jews would never be safe. The last 140 years, archaeologists have done an enormous amount of research on the ruins of ancient Jericho. And we know that the city Joshua saw actually had two walls, an inner wall and an outer wall. And it was built on a slope, making it virtually impregnable to any attacking army. Because Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world. It was built and destroyed and rebuilt many, many times over the centuries. And once the city was destroyed, those who were left simply rebuilt on the ruins and the old city. And so the constant construction and destruction and reconstruction eventually created a kind of hill of ruins that we call and that we give a word for. It's called a tell. And as researchers dug through the various layers, they discovered that Jericho had indeed been heavily fortified and had been destroyed by fire in approximately 1400 BC. The mound or that tell of ruins of Jericho was surrounded by a great earthen rampart or embankment with a stone retaining wall at its very base. And the retaining wall was a, was a stone of some 12 to 15 feet high. On the top of that, there was mud brick that was six feet thick and about 20 to 26 feet high. At the crest of the embankment, there was a similar mud brick wall whose base was roughly 46 feet above the ground level outside the retaining wall. And it loomed high above the Israelites as they marched around the city each day for seven days and on the seventh, seven times. Humanly speaking, ladies and gentlemen, it was impossible for the Israelites to penetrate the impregnable bastion of Jericho. They were probably several hundred thousand people living in the city when Joshua arrived on the scene. The city was well prepared for a siege with a spring inside the city walls and harvest having just been taken in with plenty of food and water, Jericho could have held out within its walls for several years. In a real sense, the battle was over before it started. In the minds of the occupants and the citizens of Jericho, they could not be taken. It was an impossibility. What could the Jews do in the face of that seeming impossibility. A frontal attack simply would not succeed. They would get nowhere. They had no way to tear down the walls and enter the city. If they could not skip Jericho, if they could not breach the wall themselves, what could they do? Where could they go? But the Jews faced an even greater obstacle, even greater than what you've just described. Absolutely. The walls fell because of, secondly, the faith that followed a very, very strange plan. In Joshua 6, God instructed the Jews to do a number of very unusual things, none of which had any military value whatsoever. March around the town once a day for six days. 
Are you kidding me, Joshua? March with the Ark of the Covenant. Put seven priests in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around Jericho seven times. Have the priests blow these ram's horns or shofars as, as they marched. On the seventh time around the seventh day, have the people shout. When the people shout, the walls will come down. When the walls come down, enter the city and conquer it. Joshua, by the way, added a few details to the plan. God told them that the walls would fall down, but they still had to do the marching. He instructed the people to, to be perfectly silent as they marched around the city. That's why I know these weren't Baptists. Come on, y'all. He told them, I want you to be perfectly silent when you're marching around. Listen, do you, do you know how difficult that would be for me? I know how difficult it would be for some of you. It would be difficult for all of us. And then he said, I want you to put soldiers in front and the priest and behind the ark and have these priests blow the ram's horn, the shofar continually. Have you ever heard a shofar? I brought one with me today. I meant to bring it out. And then I thought, if I try to blow that thing, my lips will do something funny. And, you know, yeah, some of you would go, uh, he can't blow a shofar. But I have one in my, in my backpack there. For six days, they marched around the city and once, and then they returned to their camp. And on the seventh day, at the end of the seventh time, around the city, the priest sounded a long blast. And the people shouted as loud as they could. Now, let's stop the story right here for just a minute. What are the chances that this particular strategy would cause the walls of Jericho to come down. Marching, blowing horns, shouting. So, sounds like something you do at a football game. I guarantee you that you won't find a military expert anywhere who would recommend the Joshua plan as the best way to conquer a walled city. This is no small point. Let's lay it out in a simple question. Marching plus horns plus shouting equals what? <laughs> well, what you've got so far is a lot of noise. High walls were no match for the Almighty, though. And so far, what you've got would seem to fall in the category of greatest military blunders that you'd see on the History Channel. But at this point, we encountered something new and vital. The walls fell because of, thirdly, faith that God would somehow give them victory. Now, stay with me. We get two hints to the story. One is God said that he was going to give them the city. Did you catch that? This is what God said to Joshua before he gave him the plan. See, I've already delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Verse 2, chapter 6. Note the past tense. I have delivered not I will deliver. God speaks of Jericho as having already been defeated. That's the key point. God is saying, it is a done deal, Joshua. Those walls are coming down. It's only a matter of time. Now that shouldn't surprise anyone who believes in God. He can do things like that. Amen? 
With God, all things are possible, ladies and gentlemen. He does. He, he, he is the God of impossibility. He speaks, and it is done. In a real sense, the battle was over before it was started. God promised to deliver the city, and in due course, he made good on his promise. But I want you to grab a hold of this. Not only does he tell them in advance, but then he puts himself in their midst. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, God puts himself in the middle of the battle plan. You might miss this in a casual reading of the text, but God put himself in the middle of the plan by having the priest carry the Ark of the Covenant as they marched around Jericho. Verse 4, remember that the Ark contained what? The Ten Commandments, the golden pot of manna, Aaron's rod that was budded. The lid of the Ark was the golden mercy seat where the high priest would offer a sacrifice in the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. The ark was not just another piece of religious furniture, ladies and gentlemen, like a table or a lampstand. The ark represented the very presence of God with his people. Putting the ark out front was like God was saying, I am leading the parade. To the people of Jericho, they didn't comprehend this. But to the people of God, they began to comprehend it. They began to understand it. All normal military options are now off the table. It's the people plus God. Or if you prefer, and this is the way I prefer to say it, God plus the people. Spears and armor don't matter very much at this time. There's another aspect to consider. What exactly were the people of Jericho thinking during that long week when the Jews marched around their city once a day in total silence except for the sound of those cotton-picking ram's horns? That's what you'd hear. The Bible tells us only that they shut the gates for fear of the people in verse 1. Can you imagine can't you imagine the million or more people and the sound of those horns and they're just marching. They're not talking. There's, a, there's an odd looking thing in the midst of them and the priest in the front and in the rear. The Bible tells us that they shut the gates. This happened before the marching ever began, by the way. I think the culminative effort and the effect that would have created was this sense of a mounting dread in the city. They knew the Jews could never breach the walls. They knew that. The people of Jericho knew they could never breach the walls. But on the other hand, they were trapped inside and dared not to go out. And so... They had heard how the Jews had crossed the Red Sea and how that they had made it on dry land and they'd heard how the Jews had defeated the two Amorite kings, Sihon and Og. And plus they had that strange marching to contend with all day and, and one imagines as if maybe this was some divine psychological warfare at work here. The people of Jericho did not know it but they were defeated before the walls ever fell. They lost the battle when God got involved, ladies and gentlemen. Let's redo that equation one more time that I gave you. Marching plus horns plus shouting plus God equals what? The walls are coming down. 
and the city is going to be captured. Now it's God who made all the difference at Jericho. Those high walls were no match for the Almighty. The God who created those stones could easily blow them over. We don't know exactly how he did it, only that he did it, and the city was taken, the Bible says, by Joshua and the people. There was a day when Robert Morrison, missionary to China, got on a passenger ship, and history records that he was the first Protestant missionary to enter into China. And one day the captain of the ship asked him, rather disparaging question. What do you think you're going to do? Convert China? His answer was no. I don't think I'll convert China. I think God will. <laughs> that is the same faith that brought the walls of Jericho down. We're in the midst, and we are, we are preparing to be in the midst of transition in this church. I know some of you are saying, what in the world does that mean? I wish I could tell you because I, I don't know exactly what that means. But I do know how to get it started. I do know how to follow God's word. But I want you, I want you to understand that my intellect, my insight, my intelligence is not what's needed here. We need the presence of God. We have to have the presence of God. We have to have God in our midst, ladies and gentlemen. And so we come to a fourth characteristic of this Jericho faith, and the walls fall because of faith that expressed itself in persevering obedience. I want you to understand, if God is the real hero of the story, and he is, then we face another question. Why did God have the people march around the city for six days and then seven times on the seventh? It's not as if marching somehow destabilized the stones in the wall. I think we learn a lesson in the power of God on one hand and the need for perseverance on our part. God had so ordered the moral universe that he responds to our faith when it is actually put to worth. It's not passive faith that he honors, but active faith, living faith, faith with some shoe leather, faith that actually does something. If you read the rest of Joshua 6, you will discover that God's promises do not equal inactivity. Listen to what I'm talking about. Verse 7, 6 and 7, we find diligent preparation. Verse 10, careful discipline, patient repetition in verse 14, audacious exultation in verse 20, complete obedience in verse 21, intentional compassion in verses 23 through 25. Think about this for just a moment. God could have said, sit tight, don't do anything. I'm going to knock all the walls over and destroy the city myself. Is there any problem with that? No, not really. God is fully able to work with or without human resources. But ladies and gentlemen, his normal plan is to use people to accomplish his promise. And his purpose. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God wants to use you. Now, some of you believe that. Some of you are still questioning. At this point, so even though God caused the walls to fall down, the people 
had to do what? They had to march. They still had to shout. And when the walls fell down, they still had to take the city fighting door to door. At this precise point, the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand those two words. Remember what they were? Say them with me. By, by faith. I want you to say it again because some of you don't have it yet. <laughs> say it. By faith. Wow. I'm going to have you talk a lot. <laughs> by faith. The walls fell down. How do we know it was by faith? Because the people of God put their faith into practice by marching around the city day after day after day. And so we sum up the lesson of this story in one final statement. The walls fell because of faith that acted in spite of uncertainty, in spite of doubts. Let me give you the best definition of faith. Faith is belief plus uncertainty and acting on the belief part. Now stay with me. Some of you can get lost at this point, and if you do, I'm going to have a lot of phone calls and emails this week. And I, I don't mind the phone calls or the emails, but I will tell you this. If you'll get a hold of this, it'll change your life. I mean that. I mean that with all my heart. Faith plus uncertainty. You know, last night I was, I was, I was preaching my message to Jennifer. She's here today, by the way. And she said, I don't think I'd use that word. And so I, I took that word out. I'm, I'm going to tell you, my wife's really smart. And I, and I mean that. She is, she's intelligent in the things of God and in the ways of God. And we we always talk through things a lot of times. We'll, we'll, she'll help me. Uh, my messages would be a lot shorter if I talked to her a lot more. Some of you are praying that I would, but we all know that belief is involved in faith. You have to believe something before you can have faith. If you agree with that, shake your head like that. Okay. If you go to the doctor, you have to believe that that doctor can help you, right? Yeah. If you don't believe, you need to stop going to that doctor. But you step into an elevator and you believe that that elevator will hold you up and take you to wherever you're supposed to go. Otherwise, stay off that elevator, right? Belief is always the first part of faith. It is the conviction that certain things are true. What's true? His word. His word is true. I, I mentioned a while ago, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Some people stop their definition of faith in the wrong place. They think that faith is believed plus nothing else. Faith to believe, faith to them is pure belief without, without any mixture of uncertainty. And I, I say to you that in this world, it's hard to come to that. In, in fact, People who truly believe that faith means 100% certainty oftentimes become paralyzed. They're not willing. Because it, it's, it's, it's like this. Tonight I'm going to drive to Fort Lauderdale. I'm going to catch a plane tomorrow morning early to Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And I will be there a few days negotiating a, a situation that we have there. 
I, I ask you to pray for me tomorrow because I'll be meeting with the head of Haitian Customs tomorrow and I don't really want to pay them a lot of money for this situation. So I ask you to pray for me. But, but tonight I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in either my little car or my truck and, I, and I'm going to drive to Fort Lauderdale and I'm going to go down the, I'm going down Alligator Alley. If you've ever driven Alligator Alley, let me tell you, at nine o'clock at night, it is the most boring drive. You can set your cruise on 80-something and just go. But you know what? I can't see Fort Lauderdale from Fort Myers, can I? I've got to trust that my headlights are going to work. And I get to see only that which my headlights, 50, 60, 70, 100 feet in front of me, will give me. And I have to trust that those guys who built that road built it all the way to Fort Lauderdale. But I can only see so much of the picture. Now stay with me. Some of, some of you, the light bulbs are coming on because I see it in your eyes. God asks us to walk this walk of faith, but he only gives us so much sight because if we could see the whole picture, some of us would become cowardly and some of us might have a heart attack. And some of us might say, say what? Lord, what do you mean? That's If we could see, but he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk in faith, not the uncertainty. I want you to walk. You say, well, did it take faith to march around Jericho for six days and then seven on the seventh? God told them that the walls would fall down, but they still had to do something. They had to walk. They had to act on the belief part. What is faith? In the big decisions of life, faith is not waiting for this 100% certainty and assurance. Faith is wavering oftentimes between belief and uncertainty. Doubt and assurance, hope and despair. But finally, with your heart in your hands, acting on what God has told us to do. And when we do, let me assure you of something. God will always be faithful. He will always be strong. Living by faith means acting by the belief part. It means taking that step of faith. Listen, living by faith is not a jump into the dark. It's the assurance in the all-sufficiency of God in His Word. He is faithful. And we get that light where we can understand. The Hebrews marched around the walls once a day for six days and seven on the seventh. Can you imagine the scene? Thousands of Jews line up on that first day to march around the city in front are the priests with the Ark of the Covenant and the, they march around blowing their ram's horns and inside the pagans are scared to death. Nothing happens, and the next day the Jews march around again, and nothing happens. And on the third day they march around again, and nothing happens. Only this time the people start inside start to relax. These Jews are nuts. Outside some of the people are complaining, Hey, Joshua, what's going on? It's a waste of time. Maybe even some of the Jews said, Hey, you know, 
But remember, they were supposed to keep quiet. On the fourth day, they march around again and nothing happens. And this time, some garbage flies over the walls. The people of Jericho are shouting insults at the people of God. And on the fifth day, the same thing. On the sixth day, the same thing. But on the seventh day, on the seventh trip around the wall, the the horns start to blow and the people let out a shout. And I believe it was a shout to be heard around the world. And in one miraculous moment, the Bible says the walls came down. That's it. That's how faith works. Don't you ever think that, 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 that sometimes there are doubters? There are always doubters. Don't ever believe that in a church there won't be critics. There will always be critics. People are notorious about being coaches, about how, if, if, if I were in charge, well, you're not. Don't ever, ever think that. Complaining seems to be a part of our human nature, doesn't it? Have you ever done that? Have you, have you ever, have you ever in your life, and I want you to be honest now, the Lord's going to ask you this question, okay? Not Alan. Have you ever complained about a pastor? Come on. Oh, yes. You ever complained about your husband? You still love him? Can I tell you something about preachers and pastors? We can be wrong. You probably never thought you'd hear that, did you? We can be wrong. We can be dead wrong. That's why we need a multitude of people with us and around us. That's why uh, 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 there, there needs to be folks that give us great advice. I want you to see this. They did this acting on the belief part, and when they took that step of faith, God honored it, and the walls of Jericho fell to the ground. Over the next several months, next Sunday, in fact, we're going to affirm, we're going we're to officially affirm a transitional focus team in this church. I've got their, their list of names. In fact, uh, you saw before we, before we began, and you'll see afterwards, you'll see this transition team fact sheet and the three things there that that are very important what what is the objective of the transition team who from the congregation will be involved in these what what does that evaluation entail and then on the back side you see these members who the committee on committees have have recommended and next sunday we're going to bring them to you and we're going to ask you to affirm them for this process I not only want you to, to encourage you to affirm them, but I want to encourage you now to begin to pray for them. Over the next several months, we're going to look at, at who we are, who we have been. This church has a rich, rich heritage and history. But ladies and gentlemen, God has a rich future for First Baptist Church of Bradenton. But we need to be willing to say, Lord, how, where? There will be some walls that need to come down. Walls that we have built. Walls that, that we have put up. And we're asking God, not just for his presence, but for his power, for his strength. Years ago, I ran the quote, I ran across this quote from J. Hudson Taylor, who was a man of dynamic faith, whose missionary efforts helped 
not only change China, but, but, but really change uh, the way the gospel was presented. Time and time again, he saw God doing amazing things in the face of hopeless circumstances. And he remarked that there are three stages in most great tasks undertaken for God. Impossible, difficult, done. Here's one thing you learn whenever you start to do anything for the Lord. It won't be as easy as you think. The fact that you are doing it, though, for the Lord seems to make no difference at all, but often God lets us struggle and sweat so that we learn to trust him at a deeper level than ever before. And still sometimes things move slowly. Sometimes we want to hurry up, God, and we want to say, God, I've got this all figured out, and I've got a plan put together, and God, I want you now to bless this plan and get on board with it, God. Bless this mess, Lord. And God says, mm -mm. I am the Lord God. I make the plan. You join it. Most of us spend most of our days looking at a wall of impossibility. And the bad news is that it really is impossible. The good news is that God loves to start with impossible when God wants to do something big, he starts with something very, very small. And this is what I want you to take away today. The real battle, the real battle was not that the walls of Jericho were so high and so impenetrable. The real battle was in the hearts of the people of God. That's where the real battle was. If you don't think they struggled, I urge you this week, read on to chapter 7, and you'll figure out real quickly they are just like we are. You see, he starts with the impossible, and he turns it into reality. Now, that brings me to this. The real battle was in the hearts of the people of God. Would they believe what God said? Would they risk public humiliation? If the, what if the walls didn't fall down? Would they do what seemed absurd from a human point of view in order to see God do the impossible? I love that little chorus that last week, Pastor John, he wrote it and he sang it to us. And it goes like this. This is so. All may know that you are God. This is so. I may always fear you, Lord. Write it on my heart. Remind me who you are. May I not forget. This is so. The name Joshua means God saves. In Hebrew, in Greek, it was shortened to Jesus or Savior. Our text tells us that it was by faith that the mighty walls of Jericho fell to the ground. But how will we face and conquer our own walls of impossibility? Where do we find that faith? If we move on in, jo in, in the Hebrews chapter 12, we find the answer very clear clearly. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He starts it and he finishes it. He is the captain of our salvation. We keep our eyes on him. First Baptist Church, we enter into a time of transition. We enter into a time where some may seem that we are facing walls. But I want you to hear me clearly. God does not see them as impossible. You might. But God does it. God says, if you'll obey me, 
if you'll put, if, if I will be at the center of everything you do, I'll bless you. I will have something for you. Keep your eyes on him, ladies and gentlemen. Don't put your eyes on some pastor. Don't put your eyes on some person that you think will bring it all to you. Oh, they do not exist. Jesus is the one that we worship. He is the one that we exalt. But I want you to understand that out there somewhere, God is even right now preparing a pastor for you who will love you, who will lead you, who will be truthful with you and honest with you, who will live right in and among you, and who will walk with you. And the greatest days of First Baptist Church of Bradenton are ahead of you, not behind you. They are there. I know. I know some of you think, oh man, we've got this wall. And we've, yes, we do. But God is looking for obedience. He's looking for faithfulness. He's looking for us to say, Lord, whatever may come, we'll follow your word. I want you to look at me. Next Sunday, we'll conclude this Joshua journey. And then in August, we're going we're gonna to be moving into a new series on the church. Next Sunday, I'll preach from Joshua 23 and 24, and I encourage you to read ahead on that. Many of you are already there. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Today, there are some of you that need to come and join this church. God's put it on your heart that even during this transition time, I want to be a part of this church. I want to be a part of what's happening. I want, I want, to, I want to see God do something really miraculous in and through this body. Some of you have never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. It's time that you do that. You've followed Christ. You've trusted Christ. But you've never followed the Lord in baptism. We're going to have a baptism service, I believe, the first Sunday of August. Uh, Pastor John's going to be baptizing at least one that I know of, and I'm praying for, for many more. But today, make your stand. Make what God has said in your heart. Confirm it. Commit it. And say, Lord, I'm going. Remember, one of the first messages I preached was an all-in message, and I'm still preaching somewhat of that message. I'm asking you, be involved in this process. Don't sit on the sidelines. Be involved. Because if you're involved, you'll see what God did. Not what man did, what God did. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Joshua 6. Oh, Lord.